We're in a series called The Journey of a Lifetime, and we're talking about families. We talked about how to pick a mate last Sunday. We're going to talk to men today. We're going to talk about the model man, what God has to say in his word. A man by the name of Weldon Hardenbrook wrote a book called Missing from Action, The Vanishing Manhood in America. And in one part of his book, he talks about four models of missing manhood. And he describes four kinds of people who are being promoted as men who really aren't the models that God intends for a man to be. I want you to listen to this. The first model that he talks about, he calls the macho maniac. This is Dirty Harry, Rambo, Clint Eastwood, Die Hard, and all the rest of them rolled together. This model denies all their feelings. They ignore the law. They never worry. They never complain. They never apologize. They just sweat and do a lot of that. This man, these men, accomplish the impossible every eight minutes, and they take anything they want, and they bully people. The second model that he writes about is the great pretender. He referred to the Archie Bunker man who tries to build up his self-worth by constantly belittling everybody else, especially his wife and his family. He imagined that he rules over his family while everybody ridicules him behind his back. They don't pay any attention to him. He's really frightened by the world, so he keeps everybody at arm's length by his constant caustic rhetoric. The third model is the world-class wimp. This is the Dagwood Bumstead man, so inept that he is constantly outwitted by his children, his wife, even his dog. Nobody takes him seriously. He's a bumbling idiot. His motto is, blessed is the passive, for they shall avoid conflict at all costs. And then the fourth, the last model that he talked about and wrote about are the gender benders. Boy George, late Prince, the late Michael Jackson. They don't even pretend to be masculine. There's quite a confusion of the roles that they play. This book is saying, and especially what I quoted that the American male is suffering from identity crisis and it's epidemic in proportions. There is an alternative and it's the model that God gives us and that's what I want you to see. The Bible teaches, and I want you to listen to this, that you don't determine a person's greatness by the value of their wealth, but by the wealth of their value. And that's what I want us to see this morning. Scripture gives us some key passages that I want us to look at concerning men, two men, and examples that they give for us men that we should have. 
This is in Philippians chapter 2. I hope you have your copy of God's Word. And you will be turning to Ephesians, or to Philippians rather, chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses, two separate verses out of that particular passage. I want to ask you to stand, if you would, and follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read these two men's examples given to us in God's Word. We're in Philippians chapter 2, verse 21st. For I have no one like him. Now the him there is Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then move with me down to verse 29. So receive him. There's a different him there, and it's Epaphrodites. And receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Two different men. Now men, I want you to listen. I'm talking to myself, and I'll be talking to you as well. And I pray God will fill this place with His presence as He speaks to us. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for the men and the women of Grapevine Baptist Church. I pray, Father, for this church family that we would guard our hearts from speculatively and relationally destructive sins in our lives. May we take every thought into captivity and the obedience of Christ be the plan and the standard for our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us as husbands to love our wives just as you loved the church and to love them sacrificially as you have loved the church sacrificially and to love our wives as we would love our own bodies as Christ loved the church. May we sacrificially love. And Father, I pray that in all of this that we as men of Grapevine Baptist Church become men of God. And I pray today that you break through to our hard hearts and move us into your presence. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to look at some values found in model men, in key men, in God's Word. Values in great men. And we find these that we're going to be talking about in Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30, around those two men that we have already read about. First of all, I want you to see in God's Word, God's looking for men of compassion. Men who put relationships before results. Men who put relationships before results. Or we could say people before prophets, if we wanted to use those words. Paul gives us the example of Timothy in this passage. Listen to it again, verses 20 and 21 in Philippians 2. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
Now notice this last part. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy is a man who puts relationships before results. It's what Paul is telling us as the Holy Spirit would lead him. Now I'm going to be honest with you men, and as I get honest, I want you to get honest. I'm going to get honest with you that putting relationships before results has always been a difficult thing for me. I am results-oriented. And I suspect that most men looking at me right now and that I'm talking to, if they're going to be honest, would have to say the same thing. We're not relationally bent as a rule. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to be. That's an area that we're to allow God to work in our life. Women are more relationally oriented. But God says we're to be that way. Timothy was that way. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. Nothing at all. The greatest things in life aren't things. God wants to work in our lives. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? God is telling us we're to be men that put relationships before profits or before results. Men, I want to tell you, We must look at this in God's Word as if God's speaking directly to us. And we need to realize that people last. Prophets don't. People last for eternity. And we get fixed on everything else except what God wants us to be fixed on. On people. People. We get busy with chores. We get busy with sports. We get busy with careers. We get busy with those things that we like to do. And we forget the relationships in life that are the most important of all that we're to have. Philippians 2 verse 21, again, notice he says, For they all seek their own interest. That sounds like us. We all seek our own interest. Fathers, let me say something to you who are all wrapped up in yourself. You're not a daddy. You're a mummy. You'll get that in a minute. We get wrapped up in so many things and leave the best out. Do you know that a study done at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor says that the average daddy spends four minutes of quality time every 24 hours with his children. You don't like that? Go stand in front of the mirror and just argue with them all day. You can't build relationships like that. You cannot be the father or the man that you're supposed to be. I don't have time to play ball with you right now. I've got to close this deal. I've got to do this. I've got this waiting on me. There's one more job I've got to finish. I don't have time for all of that. We're so out of balance in what we're supposed to be as husbands 
as men in our families. Let me tell you something that you might know, not know, sir, but I know from having been in business myself and having lived long enough, maybe than, more than some of others in this room, to tell you that what I'm telling you is right. When you get this lined up right, when you start loving people and you start building relationships with people, I want to tell you something. You'll begin to have joy and your business will do better than it's ever done simply by doing what God says we're supposed to do. That's what God tells us we're to do. And we fail to do it. We need to work on that, man. Let me give you a second thing God is saying in these passages. Write this down. Wife, if he doesn't write it down, you write it down for him, okay? He probably don't because he don't know how to write. No, he knows how to write. Secondly, God's looking for men of consistency. He's looking for men, now get this, who put character before conformity. Who put character before conformity. Boy, that's hard on us, isn't it? They're not afraid to be different in the culture where they live. They're not afraid to take a stand for the Lord. Listen, these kind of people change the culture they live in. Because they're not afraid to put character before conformity. They say, I'm going to do what's right. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to do what's right. There's a lot of examples. We can find them in the Bible. I was just thinking this past week of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to worship the golden image. It wasn't long after that that you know someone else with that group decided they were going to also stand for God. They'd already made that decision a long time ago, and I'm speaking of Daniel. He would not pray to the king. But friend, it happens today. It happens in the world that we live in right now. Assistant football coach at the University of Nebraska did not get the job at Stanford Stanford University because he was told, your religious reasonings doesn't go along with our philosophy here at Stanford. An NFL pro played in the Super Bowl, refused all kinds of coverage that he could have possibly wanted in Playboy magazine. And he said, I cannot have my name attached to that magazine. A hotel CEO just a few weeks ago ordered all pornography taken out of every property of his global chain regardless of the cost to the bottom line. You know Tim Tebow's stand. Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, would not allow his name to be put on a t-shirt that had something else that would degrade the God that he loved. And he turned down a multi-million dollar contract for that. People who put character before conformity. Philippians 2, verse 22, but you know his, that's Timothy, proven character. He served with me in the gospel. You see that word proven? Boy, that's an important word. It literally means 
he was tested. His character was tested. And when it was tested, he didn't cave in to pressure. He didn't cave in to everything around him because he was a man of conviction. An opinion is something that you will argue about. But a conviction is something you'll die for. How many of those do you have? Man, I'm speaking to you because the condition of our nation rests at our feet. Condition of our churches rests at our feet. I'm telling you the truth. I don't like it and you don't like it, but it still doesn't take away the truth. God's looking for people a conviction. You know the old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. And how real that is and how I see that among men so many times. Does the world know what you stand for, sir? Do they know that you stand for golf or that you stand for UK basketball or UK football? Or you stand for hunting or fishing? Do they know that? What else do they know about you? What else is real about you? Do they know any more about your life than that? Men with consistency are godly men. Godly men who are willing to stand out and stand up for what they believe, no matter what people say. And they're the men who make an impact in the world where they live. If you study history, you'll find out that the people who have had the greatest impact on this nation on this world were not the most intelligent they were not the most wealthy they were not the most educated they were not the most with one thing or another that you might think about but they were the people who had the deepest convictions whether it be for wrong or whether it be for right they were the ones with the strongest convictions they weren't going to let anybody talk them out of it. They lived it out because it was in the deepest fiber of their being. Let me tell you about men in western Kentucky. I know about them. I is one. Let me tell you something about them. We tend to be a little little committed to a bunch of things and not a hundred percent committed to anything. You hear what I say? We get committed a little bit to all kinds of things till we pulled our hair out, it seems like. But we're not committed 100% to the things that really count. That's what God's looking for. Lives that put character before conformity. Proverbs 10, verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. I probably ought to read that again. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. Goodness. See what God's saying there in His Word. See hear that word integrity? Integrity what is what God's looking for. That's the bottom line. We're, as people in this nation, we're concerned about image. God says, I'm concerned about integrity. Who was on the page, the fly page, the open page, the cover of People magazine a month ago, or Time magazine a month ago? It doesn't mean anything 
unless you have integrity. Image comes and image goes, but it doesn't last. Men, we must be constantly checking who we really are. In my private life, am I constantly what I'm trying to portray in my public life? And if I'm not, I need to get it worked on. I need to change it. Let me tell you something, daddies. And maybe you can see it. Inconsistent fathers produce insecure, insecure children. Do you know that? If you're inconsistent, your children are taking the hit for that. You need to know that. God says we're to be consistent. Secret sin weakens your family. They're not as strong as they could be. Let me tell you something else about secret sin in your life and my life. It weakens my church and your church. We're not to live that way. Not at all. Number three, God's looking for men of cooperation. Men who put cooperation before competition. Men, listen. I know the competition in every one of you. I've been that same way. And I still have to smother it. I'd rather win than lose any day. And I'll compete against anybody that I possibly can to be that way. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote what we're writing as the Holy Spirit led him to write this, was a spiritual superpower. I believe next to Jesus Christ in the flesh, the Apostle Paul was a man who was gifted and lived that life more than anybody you'll ever find out or you'll ever know. But I want to tell you what Paul is saying, this superstar. He's saying we can accomplish a whole lot more together, working together, than we can working alone. When we cooperate with each other as men, we can get a lot accomplished. My ideals are good, and your ideals are good. But our ideals are better. That's how God wants it to be. We seem to be in competition with everybody, it seems like. But God has said we are to cooperate with each other. We're to be people of cooperation. God made us to work together, and most of us are lone rangers. Do you know that? We want to do it ourselves, and we do it because we want to be in competition with everybody else. You're not a hot shot by yourself. I don't care how big you are or what you think. You're not. God told you and God told me we are to work with others. In this verse, I want you to notice that there are three terms of cooperation and three ways we're to relate to each other, men. Philippians 2 verse 25 says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow workman and fellow soldier. God expects me to develop close relationship with other men. And men, most of us can't count on two fingers somebody that we have that close relationship outside of our family. Notice that. 
what he says. That says the church is a family. He says brothers. Do you know that word brothers is used 133 times in the New Testament more than any other title to tell us what a family, a church family, and God's family is supposed to be like? He says we are family. We're brothers. We're related. Bible calls us brothers. I shared with my class this morning, I grew up in a church where we called the men brother so-and-so. We called the women sister so-and-so. I know it's an old term. We got so sophisticated we couldn't do that anymore. That's a term of endearment. I like that term. You are my brother. You are my sister if you're in the family of God. And I want to tell you something. I might not always agree with you, but I will tell you, I'll stand up for you. I'll stand up for you because we're brothers. We're sisters in this thing together. Goodness. And usually we don't fully understand that, brothers and sisters, till there's a crisis that falls flat out of the sky on our face. Then we begin to understand it. A young couple expect, expecting their first baby has a connection with a small group, a Sunday school class, and they've been watching out for them, trying to take care of them. There's another couple. They're not involved with a small group, a Sunday school class. They've been absent for a month, and they've been wondering why nobody's checking on them. Don't they care down at that church about us at all? But friend, I want to tell you, if you fit into that category grapevine can only become a family to you if you choose to get involved with us. That's the only way. We want to meet your needs. But you've got to help us. He also says the church is a fellowship in that passage that I read. My fellow workers. We are a priesthood of believers. We're given the same task. We're given the same mission. We're to work together. We're to serve together. We have the same enemy that we're fighting. We are to work together. Men, we're the worst about doing this. Our wives don't mind that. They sort of look at that and believe God meant it. We don't. And then he says the church is a force. He says, my fellow soldiers. You see that? We're all in the same army. There's a battle in case you didn't know. And it's raging. It's getting difficult. We get knocked around. The Bible says we have that same enemy, the Satan, that Satan, and he comes after me and he comes after you. And it's our duty to support one another in this battle. I want to tell you something. I look at those men over in the Middle East that we sent over there as our soldiers, and I watch them as they weep over the other men as they pick them up and they help them off the battlefield and they try to take care of their life. Friend, that's what we're supposed to be doing here. We're in a battle here. We're in a battle in this place. Do you know that? We need to get together and we need to support each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to cover each other's back. That's what God calls us to do. We're to defend and wrap the wounds of our brothers, not step on them and compete with them. Goodness, what's wrong with us? We've just got it all messed up. Now I'm preaching to me, so you can let me preach to you too. It's what God tells us. I'm saying that we can't make it alone. 
We can't do that, men. Men, listen to me. We need to cooperate with each other. Some of us need to begin to cooperate with a wife. Amen? Women, you can say amen if you want to. Yeah. We need to cooperate with our family. We need to. Well, that's the reason I speak again and again to getting involved in a church family. Getting involved in a church family where we can minister to each other. Join it. Get involved in it. Judges 20, verse 11. Listen to this verse. I love it. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city. This was a city they were going to take. United as one man. United as one man. Boy, there's incredible power in unity, isn't there? Incredible power in unity. We need to be in that. What would happen with, at Grapevine? What would Grapevine look like if we were united together for Christ in this church? We would be a lot of salt and we'd be a lot of light. Not just a little. What would happen if we did that? Goodness, in 1942, you've read about it. 100,000 youth stood in the great stadium in Munich, Germany, and their bodies spelt out this phrase, Hitler, we are yours. What would happen if the men, just the men of Grapevine would stand and say, God, we are yours. We're yours. We're going to work together. We're going to stand for you. We're not going to be ashamed of anything. Christ, we're yours. There's a fourth thing that I saw in these passages. God's looking for men of commitment. He's looking for men who put the cause of Christ before comfort. The cause of Christ before comfort. This is going to get home. It's a key value found in these verses. Listen to Philippians 2, 25 and then 27. In verse 25, And your messenger and minister to my need. Paul is talking to the people back the church Christians back in Philippi. And then in verse 27, Indeed he was ill near death, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Now Paul's in prison in Rome, and there are Christians, believers, back in Philippi who take up an offering to send to Paul in prison. And when they get that offering taken up, this man, Epaphrodites, volunteers to take the offering to Rome to make sure that the Apostle Paul has it. He says, I'll take it to him. And so he makes the trip. The trip is about 800 miles, folks. Some of it's by water. Most of it was by foot. Would you do an errand if I asked you to take something from Dallas to Denver and you knew you was going to have to walk most of it but that wasn't a half of it that's just a part of it as he starts out taking this by foot he's going to get sick 
you're going to get real sick. He gets ill, the Bible tells us. This man said, I'm going to go. I'm going to take this for the cause of Christ to the Apostle Paul. And I want him to have it. And I'm going to make sure he does. But while he's on the trip, he either gets injured or he gets an infection in all probability of some kind. And it's severe enough that he almost dies. In fact, the word ill in that passage that I just read is the same word that is used for people who got ill and died. I'm speaking specifically of Lazarus and Dorcas. He didn't have post-nasal drip is what I'm trying to say. He was sick. You ever been away from home, men, maybe on business, and you got sick? Boy, I have. That's one of the worst feelings in the world. You just want to get home almost as much as you want to get well. And he was sick. He was real sick. But Epaphrodites didn't stop. He didn't turn back. He didn't turn around and say, listen, I can't deliver this. I'm in terrible shape. I'm going to go back home. He was persistent in spite of his pain. He was committed to finishing the task that God had given him. God's not impressed near as much by great starters as he is by great finishers. Did you know that? I've seen a lot of starters who astounded me, and some of them I can't find today. And most of them were men. I don't see a lot of heads nodding now. But I'm telling you, in my case, most were men. Most were men. The cause of Christ came first in his life. I'll tell you that there have been times in my life, and I'm going to be honest with you again, like I was earlier, that I put comfort before Christ. I'm just going to tell you that. But I want to tell you today, at 75 years old, I want to tell you more than anything else, I want Christ to be first in my life. More than anything else, I don't want Him to have second place in my life. We say, as men, I want to live for the Lord, but I want to do it when it's convenient. I want to do it between the hours of 5.15 and 6 o'clock. I'll be in church if I can't find a game that I want to watch or the game that I want to go to and see or if they'll get out quicker than they've been getting out. I'll do it as long as I can get out and do it the way I want to do it. Ministry cost and ministry exhaust, friends. I'll tell you, I'll tell you from personal experience that it does. God's looking for men who will pay the price. James 2, verse 17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know what he's saying there? I've heard a lot of definitions. I like what I'm going to tell you better. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, I only believe the parts in the Bible that I do. 
I only believe the parts in the Bible I do. The other parts I don't do, I don't believe those. That's exactly what that says. It's exactly what that says. And that's exactly where so many of us are. So many of us are. We need to put feet on our faith. Doers of the Word. In my experience, 35 years plus of marital problems, high on the list of complaints is a passive husband. I'm telling you the truth. A passive husband. I've had wives to tell me my husband is really a go-getter. He is a competitor. He is a competitor in sports and in business. Highly motivated. He goes after it with a vengeance. But then they finished with something like this. But when it comes to parenting and spiritual matters, he abdicates his leadership. He is passive. He even resents his wife growing in faith. God's looking for men who will put the cause of Christ before comfort. Men, do we have any takers? Let me give you the last one. God's looking for men of courage, men who put service before security. Service before security. People who take risk for God's kingdom. Men, I hope you're getting uncomfortable. I'm doing my best to make us that way. They serve God and others with reckless abandon. Philippians 2, 29 and 30. So receive him, Epaphrodites, in the Lord with all joy and honor. Such men, honor these kind of men. For he, is, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to compete what was lacking in your service to me. You see that word risking? We're to honor men who risk all for Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. We're to honor men like that. Men who put service before security as hundreds who could do that, but who don't do that. They want to be comfortable in all that they do. That word hazardous or risking, whichever your translation may say, is a gambling term. It's like putting everything you got on a roll of the dice, taking a chance, stepping out there. When I read this about this man, I have to ask myself, Kent, what are you willing to risk? What have you risked? What are you willing to step out and say, I'll give this. I don't care what the cost is. I will do that. What is there that you're willing to risk? Is there anything that you're willing to risk? Is there anything that I'm really, really, really willing to risk? Anything at all? Are you ready to risk your time? Your reputation? Your tithe? What are you ready to risk? To hazard, as some translations say, for the gospel. 
What is it? When he tells you to do something, are you willing to do it? Would you risk everything for it? Goodness. You know what I believe? I believe it from being in a lot of places that I'm in. I believe a lot of churches are filled with a wimp religion. A wimp religion. You can take that any way you want to. It's Christianity with no teeth in it. No challenge, no commitment, no sacrifice, no heroes, no dedication. Just sitting around sipping green tea, not going out for the cause of Christ, hazarding everything. That's what I find in most churches that I go to. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now listen to this. That by testing, that by testing, that by testing, that by testing, you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Are you willing by testing to decide what the will of God is stepping out into the water? Men, are you willing to do that? Give yourself. Offer yourself. You willing to do that? What are you offering to God to whom you owe everything? What am I offering to God to whom I owe everything? Have you offered him all of it? Are you holding back the best, giving him the leftovers? Are you willing to put service before security, your own security? Well, I'm closing. What's it costing to be a Christian? I'll give you some life application. Mark 8, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. I meet a lot of bored, frustrated, unfulfilled men. I talk to them a lot. I meet them all the time. Why are there so many unfulfilled men? Because they have nothing significant to live for. Nothing at all. Nothing significant to live for. They've lost the sense of spiritual adventure. They'll adventure something else, but not spiritual adventure. Life is more than a career. It's more than retiring. It's more than dying. God has true life for you and for me. When we give up our life for Him and for His sake. November 2018, right today, God's looking for some men that'll do that. He's looking for you, sir. Men of compassion, of consistency, of cooperation, of commitment, and men of courage. These are rare in Paul's day. These are rare in our day. 
and I'll tell you why. Few men will step up and take the challenge to be a man for Christ. Few. Few will do that. Church, I just want to tell you, I am so excited that you've got a pastor coming. I'm so excited for what I see in you as God's people. I'm excited about the privilege to be a part of what I think God's doing and what God's going to do in this place. But I do want to tell you, it's time for you men to stand up for God and take a stand. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. We got women standing up. We need men that'll stand up. And men who will say, I will be what God has called me to be. Men, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that this morning publicly? Some of you, as men, have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't do all that until you begin there. Have you ever asked him to forgive you for your sin? And you just said, Lord, I don't understand this, but by faith I receive you and I ask you to save me. By faith I'm going to follow you and I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. Would you do that this morning and would you make it public? Now, if it's real, you can't keep from making it public. You need to make it public. Would you this morning, sir, be willing to say, I'm going to lead my family spiritually like they need to be led. And I make a commitment before my church and before my God and before my wife and my children, I will be the spiritual leader that God's called me to be in this family. I want to tell you, nothing would please a new pastor coming to this place any more than a group of men saying, we're standing for God. I can tell you, I'm a pastor, I know. We're standing for God. Let me ask you to stand. We're going to have our invitation. And I want to invite you this morning to be serious about what God said to you this morning.